Man, man, I tell you what, how y'all like this? That's an all-star defenseman that can't get in the room. What's going on? What up, boy? How you doing, man? Sean, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you. You thought you was walking into the all-star game? I just wear one to my closet. Is that what you wear when you get the Norris trophy? Is that how you get up to the is that how you walk up to the podium? You want me to be real? I bought like this fit yesterday, man. Okay. I got this fit yesterday. So I was just happy to be walking through Soho. I got the fit yesterday. So that's it, man. So you figure you're just going to drop it. Yeah. Next day. That's it, man. That's I, it. I was that. feeling it. I was feeling the orange. So. Must be nice to be rich. Goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, you rich now. Hey, I walked up on him in the, um, the green room at ESPN. I said, oh, okay. Got some cop around here now. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got some. Good thing is he does hockey. So that's two different groups. Yeah. The yeah. football group and the hockey group is two different groups. Hockey so. needs it. They need a little bit of style. They need a little bit of fashion, a little bit of personality. So, you know, I'm just being myself, but we got to bring a little bit of flair, man. But you were always that, too, when you played. So this isn't, this isn't a change, P.K. Subin, the analyst, compared to the player. You added a little flair to it when you were playing. Yeah, and I think that, like, in today's world now, people know, people know your personality. They're going to see it over time. They're going to know if you're putting on an act, if you're really just being yourself. I think in... In hockey, it's such a conservative sport, and it's been a conservative sport because you can't see the players, you know what I mean? So you never really get to get to know them. Uh, but now, in my generation, my time with social media and everything, now you can start to show people who you really are. And, you know, for, for me, a lot of people didn't know I was an artist before I started playing hockey. I used to sketch a lot. So fashion was the way that I could express myself, especially in a sport where... You know, it's kind of like everybody kind of sounds a little bit the same when they're doing the interviews and stuff. So it's just a way to show who you are without having to say a word, you know? Well, so Well, you can see when a superstar sits down that's doing TV <laughs> now, the boys get right into it. But let me open the show. <laughs> Hold up. Limitless. They got some cap in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling got me up. Uh, on the mission got me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on the vision I can trust. Uh, trust. Limitless, nigga, send me cap in it. I father here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, got me up. Uh, on the mission, got me up. Uh, no. Man, we appreciate you guys. Welcome to the pivot. We got Channing Crowder, Freaky Freddie T. I'm RC. We're sitting down today with PK Subin. First opportunity we get to do hockey. So why not go to the man that would resonate the best with our core followers, our subscribers, and the people that love this show? Three time all star, made Buku money. And I know he knows that because he got a little French in it. He from, he from Canada. And also too, man, happy dad. DraftKings, thank you for your sponsorship. Everybody that subscribed and liked, we're over 600,000 subscribers right now. We're very grateful for that. PK Subin, a man that changed the game in many ways. Played for three different teams, had an illustrious career, and he has a famous quote that I love more than anything. He said that hockey wasn't him, right? That wasn't who he was. He didn't see himself as a hockey player. He saw himself as a person that played hockey. That way he was able to detach when it was over and get into his new life. So let's get into what P.K. Subban has to say. You Thank you, by the way. Thank you see you. why that boy's so good, right? I, I do. And, and you know what? When I first heard about, you know, coming on the show and wanting to do that, I never, I met Ryan just one other time. And uh, that was just a, a week ago, yeah. I feel like. And, um, you know, I, I told him I got mad respect for what he does on TV. People don't understand, man. You know, you can understand sports. You can know your craft. But to get in front of the camera and deliver it in a way that resonates with an audience is a difficult thing to do when you got millions of people watching. So I got a lot of respect for what you do, man, for man, sure. Appreciate yeah, that. Man. He's funny acting, ain't he? 
Yeah, he is. He is. I, 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 I Wow. <laughs> I, he said it. And I'm your guy. Hey. I asked a question. <laughs> he said, you I did just... your job. <laughs> <laughs> hey, PK, man. So for, you know, he grew up in Georgia, right? Okay. I grew up in New Orleans. He's from Florida. We don't ice skate. Well, one, we ain't got no ice, right? And, and hockey is not a game that people that look like us yes. grow up either watching or idolizing the players, understanding or hoping that one, one day we can do that. You grew up in Canada, but your parents are of Caribbean yes. descent, an yep. athletic family. Your parents were athletes. Mm -hmm. What was it about hockey that drew you to it? Great question. So, you know, the biggest difference is that you know, everybody says that lacrosse is our national sport in, in Canada, which technically it might be, but the reality is, is that hockey's our sport. You know what I mean? That's what our fans are most passionate about. That's what we get behind. That's what we're most recognized for. So when my parents moved to Canada, specifically my dad, you know, he moved from Jamaica to Sudbury, which is five hours north of Toronto. It's a mining town. My grandfather worked in the nickel mines there. And he'd get up, I remember as a kid, we would go up to Sudbury in the summertime. We'd spend like two weeks, three weeks, a month, month and a half. My sister and I, all of us used to go up there and spend some time with my grandparents. And my grandfather would wake up at three in the morning. I remember he used to make me like Ovaltine and Milo. <laughs> I'd be like a little kid, I'd be drinking it. And then he'd off to work, he'd go, I'd go back to sleep. And uh, you know, my dad grew up in Sudbury, went to school there, and that's when he learned about hockey. So when he moved to Sudbury, the first two things he learned about, he lived in a French community in Sudbury. First two things were snow, because he moved from Jamaica, never seen snow before, and hockey, because the kids were wearing Montreal Canadian jerseys playing hockey in the streets. So that's how he became a Habs fan. That's why in 2007, when I was drafted, it was an emotional thing for my family, especially my dad, because when he moved over, that was one of the first things that he learned about moving to Canada. So my parents wanted us to, to play, you know, our national sport. They wanted me to, first of all, recognize where they were from, where we are from, where we're roots are from, you know, um, being Caribbean, right, and West Indian. Uh, but they wanted us to grow up as Canadians. They wanted us to, to learn how to, to integrate into that culture and be a part of it. And uh, all of us learned how to skate, including my sisters, all of us at least knew how to skate, and then the boys played hockey. And, um, you know, my dad, because he played basketball, he had a training background. My mom ran track, so they had a training background. So they knew, you know, I wasn't a gifted athlete by any means. And I love to talk about that because, you know, my brother Malcolm, now he's a gifted athlete. Malcolm could do everything. You know, for me, I wasn't gifted that way. I was always kind of a chubby kid. I had to put in all the work to be in good shape, to play a sport where you have to be strong, explosive, fast, you know, all of those things. So, you know, I had to put immense work in. My dad put in a backyard rink from the age of two, two and a half. So we'd go out skating in the wintertime right in the backyard. Like, you know, our backyard was, you know, no bigger than this kind of circle right here, man. And we did like all of our drills in the backyard rink. We were out there every single day. If we weren't there, we were shooting pucks in the basement. And uh, that's what happened, man. They just wanted us to keep us away from the streets. They didn't, you know, I wasn't allowed to hang out at the mall. I wasn't doing sleepovers. I have West Indian family. They're like, you have a house, right? You have a bed, <laughs> right. you're sleeping at home. Like my parents were very, very strict that way. So, you know, with hockey, that became a passion of mine very early on. And I think that the, the biggest challenge for kids is to find out what you're good at. And I knew I was good at hockey, so I, I had confidence in that. That gave me self-esteem. And 
I just built over the years, man. My parents never talked about the NHL. That was never a thing for us. It was, you know, playing hockey. If we're paying money for you to play, you're going to go out and work hard. You're going to do the right things. You're going to apply yourself. And if you don't want to play hockey, find something else you're going to do because you're not going to sit around. So, you know, that's how it started for me. I don't know the demographics of Subbury, no. but you, was, you and your brothers were the only brothers well, out there on the ice. Brother, you know, you and your brothers, because yes. they had brothers, but they were only brothers. There were some other black people in Sudbury, but it was, it was, yeah, you're right. You yeah. know, it was different. But, you know, I never felt that way. I never felt like we were different than everybody else. We had neighbors, everybody would come over, they had friends, and none of them really looked like us, right? They were all white, pretty much. And my parents, my grandparents are Jamaican, you know? My, my grandfather's got uh, Sh Sri Lankan roots, but was born and raised in Jamaica. My grandmother's Jamaican. So, you know, it was, it was very, very different. And that's why growing up, my parents, you know, it was never about, you, you know, you had limits because of your skin color. No, 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 no. It was like, you do whatever you want to do. We're going to support you. If that's what you want to do, no matter what anybody tells you, whether it's because of the color of your skin, they call you names. I mean, I heard all that stuff in hockey, man. Like, you know, four years old, playing on the ice, my parents sitting in the stands, they're hearing parents yell the N-word and different things at me on the ice. This is at a very, very young age. I remember, I'll never forget a story. I was playing against Detroit Bell Tire, and we were playing at Vaughn Sports Village. Vaughn Sports Iceplex. Double rinks, we used to call it. A kid, I would have been probably like six or seven years old, and a kid had said something to me on the ice. He called me the N-word or whatever. And after the second period, you know, they flood the ice and you go back out for the third. And I'm crying in the room. The coach is there and the coach is like, Mr. Suba and Maria, you got to come down. There's something going on with PK. And she's like, what's going on with PK? He goes, oh, one of the kids called him something on the ice. So my mom goes, what? She comes in the room. She goes, come here. She pulls me out the room. She goes, what are you crying about? I said, well, this kid called me this. And she's like, so what? She says, well, you're not going to play? You're going to take your equipment off? You don't want to play? She's like, if you don't want to play, it's going to be because you don't want to play, not because somebody called you something. Like, that's how my parents were at five, six, seven years old. There was no excuses. There was no using this as a reason for you to not do something. And, you know, so as I got older, it didn't matter what anybody said to me. I knew how to deal with that from a very young age. So, you know, I had great parents that understood that you were going to face these things, whether you were playing hockey or you're working in a cubicle from nine to five, it doesn't matter. Everybody's got to go through that stuff, so. So football never stood a chance. No, you know what? My cousin my cousin played football, Jason Douglas. He, he played uh, football in college. Um, you know, I had some uh, other friends and stuff that played football, but in Canada, my parents wanted us to be Canadian. You so know when I mean? were you introduced to football? Like, when did you actually see a game? Because you were born in 89, right? Dude. Huge Cowboys fan. Yeah, I know, and that's what I'm trying to get Huge to. Huge Cowboys fan. Because oh. football didn't stand a chance. <laughs> the Cowboys cow didn't stand a chance. Sunday, the Jaguars, my team, oh, we kicked boy. that ass. <laughs> Listen to me, man. Is it all Listen coming to together? It's a long season, and I know that every game means so much in football. You know, that's the difference with hockey. We're playing 82 games a season. You know, game 42 could be the decision in you making, you know, the playoffs, but you have so many other games. In football, the season's so short, and it's funny because for TV, it makes for great TV because there's always a storyline every week. But, you know, when it comes down to it, when the dust settles, my Cowboys are going to be there at the end of the day, and they're oh, going to be hosting that thing, man. Gosh. They're going to be hosting that thing, boy. NFC is Jerry going to be down. It's going to be Jerry's world. Everybody's living in it. And I'm going to be down there on the field, too, man. I'm going to find my way down there, too. Man, they're going to treat you like Kevin Hart when you try to... <laughs> if you try to... 
if you try to get on that stage. Oh, no, 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 PK. No, PK. And you know, too. Or Salt Bay. Yeah. Salt hey. Bay, you know, doing the thing with Messi. I mean, that was crazy. You know, when you think about being drafted and yeah. all of the hard work that your parents, all the sacrifices they put into it, and now you finally reach that goal, how difficult was it for you to acclimate into the NHL and still be yourself, still be Pernell, Carl, Sylvester, Subin, Dude. right? In, in, in a world where they don't necessarily embrace that culture. It isn't about how you dress. It isn't about continuing to build a brand. And I think it was um, Brendan Gallagher when yep. you were in Nashville was basically, you know, you're still shining. You, you just go to the Stanley Cup. Lost to the Penguins, I believe. It yes. Is. Shout out to Pittsburgh, right? And you know, you you're doing those things, and then he gets up and he says these negative things about you, which in our culture, like, oh, he just hating, right? Yes. But when you play the game the right way, when you're a great defenseman, but you're just being yourself, was there ever any pushback on who PK Subin was as a person? A lot of pushback. You know, one thing that I got used to is that people in hockey weren't really ready for me. I think when I came into the league um, with my approach and my attitude to the game, because, you know, one thing that's always been taught to me that you learn, especially growing up in black culture, is respect. You can't disrespect nobody or else you have to expect to feel something back in return. So I was always very careful on how I treated people and how I spoke to people. But when people uh, made comments that were at my character, I had a zero tolerance for that because you don't know me. You don't know how I was raised. And not only that, like, more importantly, I am more than just a hockey player, you know? I didn't grow up in a family with a dad that played in the NHL or an uncle that played in the NHL or a grandfather that played or had my next-door neighbor who played. Like, you know, on my block where I grew up, you know, it wasn't the ghetto by any means. It wasn't anything like that, but I lived with Indian people, you know, uh, people from Pakistan, you know, people from the West Indies, but mostly like we would play ball hockey in the street, but there, no one was playing hockey on ice. Like no one was doing that. So, you know, for me, when I got into the NHL, you know, I came in from inner city Toronto. I went to a school, a high school, running me collegiate where I had friends bringing guns to school, bringing shotguns in lockers, I'm riding the bus. You know, I lived a different life getting to that point. The only difference was, was when I was finished school, I was going to hockey practice. You know, I was on the backyard rink. I was in my basement shooting pucks. So, you know, when I got to 18, 19 years old and they see me, my friends see me playing the World Juniors, that's when they're like, oh, shit, this guy actually, this guy plays hockey for real. Right. You know, so when I got to the NHL and I'm with all these guys, you know, for me, I'm coming in to break the door down. I'm coming in to provide for myself and my family, but I'm here to live out my dream, my dream to play in the National Hockey League. And, you know, in doing that, every one of you had to break the door down to get to where you're at, right? Or maybe somebody opened it for you, but there was no one on the other side that I knew. Right. So for me coming in, the one thing that I knew is that if I was gonna draw attention to myself, it had to be from my play on the ice. And my play on the ice was, I wanted to impose my will on people and, and really establish myself as someone that could play in the league. So in doing that, it always ruffles feathers because you got a young guy coming in who's confident, who's educated because my parents, you know, my dad was a principal, both my sisters are teachers. Like you had to read and write. You weren't getting on the hockey rink unless you could read or write and you went to school and you took care of your stuff. So I could think and understand people. And moving away from home at 15, 
that's the best thing that I learned how to do was read the people that were around me. And when I got to the league right away, I thought, oh, I'm in the NHL now. I don't have to deal with, you know, people that may be racist or opinionated about where I'm from. I don't have to deal with jealousy because everybody's making money. But it's the worst, actually. It's, you know, at the end of the day, everybody is jealous because when the crowd's chanting your name and it's a team sport and people are big fans of you and you're a young guy and you come in and you say you're going to help this team win a Stanley Cup, people are like, who the hell is this dude? This guy needs to be humbled, right? And a lot of people see it as in, oh, it's happening because he's black. You know, some of it might be racism, but a lot of it could just be placism. This guy needs to know his place, mm. you know, in the game. He's a young guy. You know, maybe he brings in this flair and this attitude, but the one thing that gave me the confidence to be who I was was I could play the game. It didn't matter what anybody said off the ice. They could have comments about the way I dressed. They could have comments and say that he's cocky and he's arrogant, but at the end of the day, I knew that I had to perform on the ice. That was the most important thing. And when I did that, that allowed me to be who I was. So that's why I think it's really important to have that self-confidence. If you don't really have that ability and confidence in yourself, it can be difficult at times to be yourself, you know, because everybody's always going to pick you apart. You know, for me, when people would tell me about the suit somewhere or what I'm doing, I'd just be like, okay, no problem, man. I can do what I got to do. You do what you got to do. Because when it came onto the ice, I took care of business. So people were very resistant to that. Players, management, they just kind of wanted me to buy in and, and conform to what was already there. And for me, I was like, Nah, man, like, you guys are going to respect me for who I am, but more importantly, you're going to respect me for what I do on the ice. And that's where it starts, you know? And I'm a guy that loves to give, that is a team guy, that's all about bringing people together. But uh, the jealousy factor was a big one. That was, that was very difficult to deal with. You put that bullseye on yourself. Correct. With that, do you feel you, was, you were targeted? Uh, even more so? I think so. At different times, there were definitely ebbs and flows throughout my career. Uh, I think uh, what happened personally when I got into the league was I was one of the first guys to really, you know, market himself and have an individual brand from the team. And I think when I started my career, I got drafted to probably the most storied franchise in NHL history and also one in sports. You know, the Boston Bruins, Montreal Canadiens have the most playoff history amongst professional sports teams, you know, other than I believe the Yankees and maybe a couple of the teams, um, over a hundred year history. So, you know, when you think of the, fr the front office at the Montreal Canadiens, it's almost like at the time was still in like the 1970s, you know what I mean? And rightfully so, very, very successful, won a lot of championships, 24 cups, you know, a lot of championships. So they believe in the way that they do things. Um, but, you know, the, the tradition with Montreal is like any star players that had big names that got bigger than the team, they traded them, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them after a certain period of time. So, you know, what happened to me wasn't any different than the history. Um, but definitely when I started, my career started out, I developed my own brand and I started doing things. I had my own logo. I was wearing my own stuff. And it was a big issue because, you know, we're paying you this to wear to be a part of the Montreal Canadiens. And I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about how these brands can coexist. And I think that was the biggest issue, you know, when I started was that I, I was developing my own fan base and my own audience. And I asked Jeannie Buss, I did a documentary, I asked Jeannie Buss, I said, Jeannie, you know, how do you deal with that? With an athlete that comes into the organization that, you know, has his own brand, 
but there's the team brand. How does that coexist? And she said the first thing, as long as you take care of winning yeah. on the court and on the ice, it shouldn't matter. And that wasn't always the case for me. You know, even though I won, it was, it was still an issue in the hockey world. And you said that um, hockey needed you. Did they really need you? Did they want you? You know what I'm saying? Like, your, 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 your fashion, you outspoken and all, and we love it, but did hockey, did hockey really need that? And have you changed things in hockey? Well, my attitude wasn't about hockey needing it. It was about, this is who I am, you know? Like, it, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to be someone I'm not. I wasn't trying to necessarily be a certain way every day to change the sport. I was just trying to be myself. And when I got resistance from that, I'm saying, you can't resist me from being myself. You know, if I'm not hurting anybody, if I'm not, you know, cutting anybody's legs out from under them, if I'm not doing things off the ice that I'm not supposed to be doing, you know, if uh, I'm not committed to the team, if I'm not, okay, fine, but I'm not doing any of those things, right? I'm, I'm, if I'm making mistakes, I'm making mistakes like everybody else, you know? So, but I also knew that the arrows were gonna come big and they were gonna come hard, and that's the way it's gonna be. If you wanna be yourself and it's gonna be different than everybody else, you gotta understand that not everybody is, is gonna be okay with that change and the impact that you have on the culture of hockey, right? There's always pushback when you're changing things. So. I was prepared for that. I had to develop a lot of thick skin, but at the end of it, I came out on the positive side. In sports, finding the right team, even with the draft, almost seems impossible. But in real life, personal and business, ZipRecruiter.com can find the perfect match for you. No matter how great the GM is, it is so difficult to find the right team. But in business, that's why we have ZipRecruiter.com. It doesn't matter if you're in New York or if you're in Nebraska, you can find the perfect person for you. And honestly, it's the best place to go. Four out of five people who post on ZipRecruiter.com, they find a match within 24 hours. When you are ready to build a winning team, let ZipRecruiter.com help you. You can try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash DraftKings. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-R-A-F-T-K-I-N-G-S. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Willie O'Ree, obviously hockey's Jackie Robinson. Yes. You know, when you think of certain things that you have dealt with and certain things that you went through in this sport, when you look at his legacy, how is him, him crawling so you can, I guess, skate? How does that affect you? Big time. That also help kind of show me the way of what the things that I needed to do that were important. And that's what makes everything I do that much more important because I have so much respect for Willie and what he did, um, not just for me, but for the game of hockey, not just the black players, but the players that don't look like me as well, you know, because he stands for creating a league where everybody's accepted, not just black hockey players. So for me, respecting Willie wasn't just about because he was black. It's like this guy, is taking our game to another level because he's the number one advocate for bringing people into our game that aren't, you know, quote unquote, hockey fans or from a hockey community or from a hockey country, you know? And I'm all for that because I love the game. The game is provided to me. So I want to promote that. But personally to me, it, he means everything because without him, there would be no PK Subban. There'd be no opportunity for me to, to play and, and have played the way that I did. Um, you know, so I got a lot of respect for Willie and what he's continued to do. I think that he's a Hall of Famer. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I know that 
Um, the league has done some things for him, but he should be remembered as all the greatest players in the game because his impact was just as great. With that, how much ignorance have you witnessed in the um, Olympic Games you won gold for Canada? And someone had your jersey on in the stands in blackface. How much ignorance throughout your career have you personally witnessed? You know, I had such a passion for the game, man. Like, when I started playing in the NHL, like, you know, it was all new for me. I grew up a Montreal Canadiens fan, just to give you an example. And, you know, I didn't know even about St. Laurent Street. I didn't know about the city of Montreal and that it was had amazing energy. I only knew about the hockey team. So when I got there and started to learn about French culture and, you know, the difference between English and French and, you know, the, the Haitian community in Montreal and, and all this, I learned about that stuff piece by piece. So I saw fans celebrate me in different ways. And, you know, not growing up in the United States and experiencing racism in Canada is different. Yeah. You know, it is different. So, you know, for me, I understood the whole blackface thing through the actors and actresses that would act, and I got it, because I didn't get it. I'm like, the first time I saw it, I'm like, yo, this is probably just a fan that wants to look like me. And that's, think about it. I'm looking at it on the positive side. That's what I chose to do, was always look at everything positively and be like, yeah, the dude wants to be like me, I guess. I don't know, cool. But then when the article came out in Quebec that it happened, and one of the actors spoke out and said, you know, this has been a huge problem in Quebec, with black actors and actresses not getting jobs because, you know, all they, what they would do is the white actors would paint their face black and play black roles. And I didn't get that. And then when I saw that, I was like, damn, you know, I gotta, I gotta stand up for this because this, there's a meaning to this. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't just fun and games, right? Um, so I got that. And there, there is some ignorance to it, but a lot of that is cultural. And I think how I handled that was people don't understand everything. You know, and as quick as I have to be to stand up and stand up for what I believe in when people are saying things that are wrong, when things are going wrong in the game, I'll be the, I'll be the first one to do that. But I also have to be the first one to educate people that don't know. Because mm -hmm. not everybody, you know, has ill intentions when they do something. Some people just don't know. Right. And we could sit and laugh at them and be like, this guy's an idiot or this person's stupid. But if they don't know, are they? Like, you know what I mean? They just think they're, they're do, they think they're celebrating you. They think they're having fun. Some of them do know what they're doing. You know what I mean? But, but I, I don't ever assume that. So I, I've given people the benefit of the doubt in that, but I, I've chosen to educate people and try to build a bridge so that they understand. Because sometimes, I tell you, there's some dudes out there that aren't going to have a conversation with you when they see you on the street with your face painted black wearing a jersey. You know what I mean? There's going to be an exchange of, of some, you know, physical blows. For sure. <laughs> now, I love your mindset, man, but I want to pivot back really quick. You said your dream was to play in the NHL. Yeah. Did that dream include being on the cover of a video game? I mean, because that's amazing, right? What was it like to get a call when they announced you were going to be on the cover of NHL 2019? I don't think anybody really knew what that meant to me, you know, because... Uh, I don't play video games now, but I played them until I was like maybe, I don't know, maybe 12 was like I cut off. You know, once I got to 13, 14, I didn't play as much. I started working out more, had too much hockey to play. And my parents wanted me to read more books. You know what I mean? They're like, read your books. You got to read Goosebumps and read all these books instead of playing video games. When that happened, the first thing that I thought about was Jerome McGinley. 
You know, when he was on the cover, I believe it was either 2000, I think it was 2003, he was on the cover. When you think about it, you know, 2019, 16 years later, I'm on the cover. And I remember I had that video game. Like that was the NHL game that I had to have because I watched all of Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em tapes when he was scoring 50 goals. And I was just like, man, even though I'm a defenseman, I'm like, I appreciate this guy and the way he plays the game. He was so physical, he was fast, and he not only imposes will physically on people, he could score. So you couldn't be like, oh, this black guy's just a fighter and he just does this mm -hmm. and that. He impacted the game. So I was a huge fan of his and I was like, yo, I wanna be like Jerome McGinley. So when I was on the cover, it was really emotional for me. It was more emotional than winning the Norris Trophy, you know, as best defenseman, because I knew that I was gonna have an opportunity to do that. But to be on the video game, like international, bro, that means yeah. that some kid in Europe that's buying the NHL Correct. game has your face on it. And it's like, I wasn't even happy for myself. I was just happy for the game, the game of hockey, man. Like that was my, one of my proudest moments because just of what it, it was so symbolic of the work that I put in and really what I was trying to do was just to show kids that you can do whatever the hell you want to do. You know, if you put your mind to it. And that, that was the biggest thing for me. It was very, very emotional being on the cover. Huge. Yeah. It's super dope to talk about game changers, but that's exactly what DraftKings is. And they're still offering you an amazing deal. Any new customer that uses the promo code PIVOT, if he makes a pregame money line wager of just $5, they hit it, you get $150 in free bets. And I got both of my dogs here with me today. They gonna tell you a little more. The easiest way to make money is those same game parlays. I'm taking the San Fran, whoever they playing is under. They ain't gave up 20 points in a month and a half. <laughs> I'm taking San Fran's under on their opponents, but the same game parlays. Same game, multiple bets, and you have a better chance of winning money. Hey, I love when we film in New York. I get to use my DraftKings Sportsbook. <laughs> but when we're not here, I can use my DraftKings Daily Fantasy, and I advise you guys to do the same. You still can make plays. A lot of football, a lot of basketball, a lot of sports, period. Get in, get there, make some money. We all happy. Listen, this is a great time of year. There's football, there's basketball, whether it's college or pro. So many sports to enjoy. DraftKings Sportsbook wants to be your premier betting app. So get out your devices, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app, and still remember, use the promo code PIVOT, and that deal is for you. Now back to the show. And talking about that goal, and I, I more understand of the hockey, the hockey path. Yeah. Is like recreationally, because in high school, as a all-American football player, you get the baddest girls. Like I got number two in high school. The baddest one was Sydney, and I ended up getting her after I made it to the league. I went back to Atlanta. <laughs> but the number the second one I got, and I, I was cuter because I was an all-American. Then I got to Florida. 50,000 students, and I'm in the middle of everything. I was that dude in the NFL, if you got money and now you party and you get anything you want. Hockey-wise, when did, when did recreationally hockey start working out for you? That's a great question, man. <laughs> like, you know, I was late for everything. I was late to the dance always, man, because my parents were just very, very strict. So like, you know, I didn't have like my first beer until I was like, Man, I remember I was 16, stepped into the league, into the OHL, and you're around guys, and it's like a thing to, like, you know, drink beer. Guys love, I hate drinking beer. Can't stand beer. And I remember I get to, like, 18, and, like, 18, 19 was when I started, like, really focusing on that, on the social aspect of it and having a little bit of fun. So, you know, there were times where I'd go to the parties or I'd go out, 
but it never fully happened until the NHL because in the back of my mind, I always knew that like, you know, if I wasn't prepared, like my job, I had to be prepared. So like that stuff, like easily was always pushed into the background. Once I got to the NHL, you know, I gave up a lot of my childhood. You know, like I said, my parents, there were no sleepovers. You weren't going to sleepovers. You weren't going to parties. Like they had these all ages clubs in Toronto, Palazzo on the highway. And a bunch of my teammates used to always go to these places when we were playing hockey. And I'm like, I want to, and my mom, I'm like, no, you're not going to know all, you got your whole life to party. You got your whole life to party. You got to stay focused on what you need to do. And when I got to the NHL, I get there and I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm having so much fun because how good I am on the ice. Like, you know, the fun happens when you perform and you win and you're doing what you're supposed to do. And that's when you get to enjoy, you know? So it made it worth it for those first 18 years, 19, 20, 21 years of my life where I gave up a lot of sleepovers, a lot of vacations. We never went on vacations. We never did any of that stuff. And I've gotten to, to enjoy. So I would say when, when it really took off would have been like, after the World Juniors, the second World Juniors, when I was 19 and we won in Canada, that's when it, it kind of took off. And socially, you know what I mean? I started getting easier dates. You know, I wasn't, yeah, I'm yeah. like, damn, I didn't even get my hair cut. And this girl thinks I'm cute. It's like, what the hell? Which you know is not true. Because you, you, you black enough to know that when that edge ain't right, you really not at your best. Exactly. 100%. <laughs> 100%. And I knew, like, as time goes on, I remember I made it a couple, couple years in the NHL, and my friends are like, yeah, but, man, you know, if you didn't play hockey, bro, if you weren't playing in the NHL, there's no way to... And I'm like, I guess we'll never know, though. You know what I mean? Because I'm playing. I say that, so say that to me You know what I mean? Still. Like, I no. don't know. <laughs> so I can sit here... Still, PK? I, hey, listen, I can say it is what it is, man. Why I, are you rubbing your face like it's not true? <laughs> I didn't... <laughs> You're not handsome. <laughs> <laughs> there has never, there's never been a time anyone has tuned into the pivot, and you you are the star of the show. I tell you this all the, the time. The lady at the airport. There's she never just told me, Channing. There's the never, lady at the TSA pre-check. She just said, "Who? Where you going?" Said, that is what? not what she said. That's not what she said. That is not right. what she said, Channing. Nobody's said. ever put a comment in on the pivot that said, "Oh my goodness, Channing, so handsome." Right. You've never gotten a fire emoji. You've never gotten. I don't need a fire emoji. Any of those. Yeah, they know I like emoji. face to. I like face to face sentiment. <laughs> hey, ESPN's is is lit the lamp a little bit too, man. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Oh, for okay. sure, because it's different now. It's like now you're touchable. You know what I mean? Before you had this crazy schedule. You're flying here, flying there. Now it's like he got time. So it's like, oh, it's like, okay, he's got time now. He can go to dinner. He can be in town. His schedule's a little bit more predictable. Yeah, the kids oh, on fire. I gotta, I gotta watch where I roll. I'm sliding in back doors now. I gotta watch. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I love football like you love hockey, but ain't nothing like a touch of a woman. <laughs> I, I would have to agree with you, man. We're on the, <laughs> listen to me, man. We're on the same page. Come here, brother. I love, I love you, man. But, but PK, you, you become, you're obviously a huge NHL star. It's hard to kind of transcend that in, like, tr transcend that socially. Yeah. And now you stand out. You know, like nobody's checking for Sid the Kid like that. You know, Ali um, in Washington, he scores, he's one of the greatest to ever play. I've watched him after the game give interviews when his teeth are not in, and nobody's like, man, that's a guy I can't wait to date. You've dated very publicly and also in a way where 
you've dated someone who is also in the public eye. Yeah. And, and dating Lindsey Vaughn. How difficult was it, though, to have a true private life yeah. be so public? And shoot, bro, it's hard to navigate a relationship when you're dealing with it just in your home. But to have so many eyes on you, you finally realize, oh, no, this is different. I am different. We are different. That's a great question. So, you know, I'll go back to my family stuff. You know, I grew up like West Indian, you know what I mean? And, you know, our whole thing is like, you mind your own business and your private life is private. You know what I mean? It doesn't, you know, you don't put your business all out there like that. But, you know, in, in my generation growing up, it's social media. When social media happened and everything happened, we're all learning about it, you know? Um, I think that with myself and Lindsay, we're two public people, obviously, and we both have our following and different things. Until that point, I had never, ever had my personal life public, you know? And the reality is, is that I don't think it was either of our choices. I think it was just our lives and people seeing us together and people already knew that we were together and, and we were spending time together. So once that happens, you know, it's gonna get out that you're together. So we, we chose to embrace that, you know what I mean? But it changed a lot for me because, you know, I think for her, you know, she also had dated publicly before, I hadn't. Um, I also don't have, I didn't have a lot of dating experience in terms of being in relationships until that point. I probably only really had been in maybe one or two other small like relationships, not moving in with anybody, not doing anything like that. So yeah, I would casually date, meet people and date people for a while, but I would never gotten anything serious. Cause you know, I was playing, I wanted to be focused on my career. And I met her about at the time when I was 26, 27. So about seven, eight years into my career, it was a different time for me. So, you know, there were to learn a lot of things about dating and, and being with somebody while you're playing. I was doing that through a, a time where I didn't even have a whole lot of dating experience. So I learned a lot of things. It did make it difficult to be public, um, you know, but, but when I look back at it, I had a lot of great experiences in that relationship. You know, I never had dogs before in my life. I acquired three dogs through free agency. Oh, you, you, know, was real, like, you was in a real relationship. That's what I mean, man. <laughs> like, saw you walking on the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. And I think that like for me, like you always want to embrace, you know, every experience. And, you know, she had a phenomenal career. Uh, she's a great person. Uh, we had a lot of great times together, but it was, it was definitely difficult having your personal life out there all the time. But like, you know, there were also a lot of positives about it. So, you know, for me, I think that moving forward, I, I think that when you're ready to put your stuff out there, you have to make that decision on whether you're ready for it. And now at least I have that experience to know on how to go about it, you know? So it's difficult being an athlete, man, and, and dating and having your personal life and figuring out how to manage that. That's definitely not easy when you're in the public eye. Like you say, in the public eye, so we know the story that she proposed to you. And I'm sure it happened somewhere else, but Dude, you, you're the so first person that... I've ever stood in front of. <laughs> and I need the entire story because I've seen movies and it's never been the woman proposing to the man. I need Correct. It, it just so happens that Lindsay, you know, she is the, you know, either first greatest or second greatest skier of all time. I think it's uh, Stenmark who's got more records than she does. So when it comes to international, she's got a huge following. You know, she also plays, she's in an individual sport. I'm in a team sport, it's a different thing. So when Lindsay does something and it goes public, it's a little bit different than when I do something and it goes public, you know what I mean? So I proposed to her in August, mm. you know, that summer. You know, I had the dogs around, I proposed to her then. And then at Christmas time, 
she felt the need to propose to me. She wants, she felt that I should feel like I got proposed to as well. You know, that's her opinion. You know what I mean? I, you know, if I look back at it, you know, it's a different time. Everybody's going to have their opinion on how, what they want to do for their partner. And you got to figure out whether that works for you or not. I mean, the ring was nice. I'll say that. But like, I had done the proposal in August and then she decided to do that back to me, so. Did it make you feel special? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of guy, you guys are nuts. I'm the type of guy, I'm the type of guy really like, uh, I don't uh, wait until Christmas or somebody's birthday or Valentine's Day to have to celebrate. Like, I think if you're with somebody, you celebrate them every day. Um, you don't necessarily have to uh, do this huge thing like, for me, you're working at your relationship every day. And every day you want to make the person that you're with feel special, you know? And you do that in a number of ways. And I think that, like, when you think about it, there's a handful of days throughout the year that socially we celebrate with our partners, right? Valentine's Day, Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays, anniversaries, right? So, you know, that's all great, but there's a whole lot of days in between of those, you know what I mean? And um, those are the days that I try to focus on. Uh, and then when it comes to those other five days, my uh, my friends call me Lance Romance. You know what I mean? Because I I put it on. I'm the type of guy I get the rose petals and like, you know what I mean, and make it special. Yeah. You know, the rose so, petals on the bed, no? Hell yeah, man! Scented yeah, the, candles, flowers. But the rose petals, then when you get after, they roll up and they then the juices get on the cover. Okay, well it's either that or like being on the sand and the beach. And I, I'm telling you something right now, I only want to walk on the sand and the beach. After that, I got to go somewhere after. I ain't, I ain't laying out on the beach, having dinner with sand all up in my toes and in <laughs> other areas I don't need it going. So I'd rather have the rose petals than yeah. the sand. That's Shane, all. If you if you follow him now, you know, his life is very, is very uh, it's models now, a lot of models in LA. Um, it's different, you know, and you ask about how does that social life transcend from hockey to the, the the real world. And you know, I mean, first off, he got 72 mil. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? At one that's point. Public. That's public. Yeah, that's public. I 25, that. yeah, 25 signing bonus. <laughs> right? That changes life in general. Instant. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't go Lindsey Vaughn broke. Right? Because <laughs> then you gotta compare the ring you buy her to the ring she buys you. Like that's a tough situation. But you know, now he said you talk about ESPN. He got to go in the back door. Well, you probably got to go in the back door too, Chan, when you with models all the time. You know what Listen I'm saying? Listen to me, so, man. You guys are nuts. Well, I, we got to live through you. We see married dudes sitting up here excited. <laughs> Listen, we ain't no hockey would like that. So what about this? That's you know his what? lane. That's his lane. <laughs> I will careful. say this. It is nice to have retired at 33. Yeah. You know, I'm knock on wood. I've been very, very lucky to have played hockey and be able to walk away with no injuries. Like, I retired which had nothing to do with my body, like, you know, any issues with my body. I retired based on the fact that if I wasn't going to compete for a championship, I wasn't going to play. You know, it was that simple. I wasn't going to wait until after training camp. I want to come in and do it the way that I've always done it. And if I couldn't do that, I wasn't going to play. So, you know, you know, being able to retire at 33 is just great, you know, because now I can just... I have my whole life out in front of me. Anything that I ever missed out on that I couldn't do because I was playing, I'm able to do. And you know this, Ryan, when you're able to start, you know, your media career at a young age and really figure out where your passions are and what you want to do, whether it's podcasts, whether it's working in front of the camera, behind it, and start that second chapter, 
Um, I'm just, I was really excited about that, that I could tie a bow on my career and say, you know what? I want to win a championship. That's my number one thing. And if I'm not going to be in a position to do that, I'm good to walk down mm. the road. You know, I, I've been to a Stanley Cup final. I had a chance to do that. Lost to the greatest player in our generation, Sidney Crosby. So, you know, I'll take that out. But um, at the end of the day, you know, retiring at 33 was like the coolest thing for me. And personally as well, my personal life, being able to spend time with people that I want to spend time with, you know what I mean? No, you do so much. I want to talk about ownership and uh, philanthropy. Yeah. So you're going to need that time. You, mm -hmm. You're part of the ownership group in the Angel City FC yeah. Women's Soccer League. Well, it's, they'll be starting up soon, right? Yeah. So you know what? Listen, I've uh, on the point of being an owner, uh, that's my number one goal, is I wanted to want to be an owner of an, a National Hockey League team. Um, I had that vision, you know, when I was 23. You know, I wanted to I wanted to be an owner. I wanted to be, I was always interested on the business side of things, not necessarily the, you know, personnel and general manager or coaching jobs, but I also was the most interested in being able to sit down at the board of governors meetings because, you know, I feel like that's where a lot of those conversations that we need to have have to happen. You know, so that's my goal. You know, everybody talks about TV and media and doing that stuff. And I, I have a passion for it. I love talking sports. I love doing things like this. This is great for me. It makes me feel like I'm still playing and I'm, yeah. I'm in the locker room, but um, I want to be in an owner's box. You know, I want to be able to uh, win a championship that way and, uh, and have that impact. So I think that that was a step in, in, in starting that process. And hopefully that, you know, down the road, I'll be able to do that. You know, you're a black kid from Canada. You play hockey. How do you get in all those doors? Like, how do you parlay your professional career to eventually open all those doors and those opportunities for yourself? What did you do over the course of your career to set that up so that you could say, at the end of my career, this is, that, this is the direction that I'm gonna go? Because people don't always take advantage of that. You know, people say you gotta earn people's respect. I think there's been a lot of opportunities where I could have, where I showed people who I was based on how I handled things that have happened to me. I may not have met every person in the hockey world over my career, but I feel like they got a chance to meet me without meeting me. You know, when you talk about, you know, uh, the Boston situation when I was playing in double overtime, I scored and everybody, you know, went to flooded to Twitter and was like, oh my God, everybody in Boston's calling this guy the N-word and they're saying this. And, you know, I remember I'm 20, 23 years old and Reverend Al Sharpton who, you know, at the time I barely knew, I grew up in Canada. You know, I, I, I kind of recognized the name, but I would never see him on TV. And he comes on TV and he's talking about me and he's talking about the story. And I'm understanding all of this, but you know, for me, it would have been very easy to, to have played the victim card and have been like, you know what? Yeah, like this is bull, this is... And for me, it was more of like protecting the players and protecting the organization. Like people, my brother was a first round draft pick to the Boston Bruins. My best friend is from Dorchester in Boston. And this is something that people would never, you know, people wouldn't know about my best friend and his family that I spent Thanksgiving with in Dorchester. But like, I have a lot of friends and people from Boston. So that was, that was something that I took personally when people were trying to label everybody in Boston with this brush that they're all racist. And I'm like, nah, I have a lot of friends from there. You know, and I don't know who it is on social media. I don't watch that stuff. I don't know where things are coming from. So. You know, for me to speak out in a way that built a bridge, 
even though that the, the arrows were directed at me, the disrespect was directed at me. This should have been an emotional situation for me. I turned it into something that was really what I believed in, was that the game, it should, the focus should be on the ice. You know, you got the first place team in the league. I know we're eighth place. This is going to be a hell of a series. We just won the first game on home ice. Don't take the attention away from the game. Keep it on the ice. And I actually believe that was a big part of the reason why we won that series, because if you're a player on the other team, you have to respect me for that view, you know, because it is what's best for the game. It's truthful. It's sincere. So there were a lot of different moments in my career where I acted that way. And I think a lot of people that didn't know me, you know, who had an opinion of me, really understood what I was all about. And I think that's when people started thinking that, you know, PK really is good for the game. And uh, it shouldn't take that, but that's just the way life is. You know what I mean? So how do I open those doors? I think you just got to stay true to yourself, man. Like there's, uh, you know, you're a fraud if you have an agenda and you're trying to manipulate your way there. I think you just got to be yourself and people need to accept you for who you are. And you have good intentions. You have goodness in your heart. It's going to show, you know? You have a lot of goodness in your heart. Speak to uh, Winter Wonderland. And yeah. that philanthropic endeavor. Yeah, that's probably the coolest thing that I've I've ever done um, philanthropically. Um, was in the hospital atrium creating this winter wonderland for the kids, dressing up in a onesie, carrying around babies, and having like cotton candy stands and toys and stuff for the kids to play with. Um, it was just really cool to be able to create something like that for kids who can't leave the hospital. You know, what I wanted to show people was that you don't have to wait until you're retired until your career's over, until you're old and you've made all your money and you know that your days are numbered to all of a sudden throw a check at something just to try to feel that you've given back. I think that I want to promote to this new generation that you can give back when you're young. You can give back in the middle of your career. It doesn't have to be a $10 million donation. It can be, you know, something small or donating your time. You know, I cannot donate more money than the time that I've donated to those kids you know, showing up at the hospital and spending the time and, and doing the groundwork. That also gives me credibility to speak out on a lot of issues because I know I spent the time. You know, I could talk about everything, but when you know that you've invested the time to seeing the change happen in your community, whether it's my Blue Line Buddies program with the law enforcement and bringing underprivileged use to the game or creating the Winter Wonderland at the hospital for sick kids, you know, I knew I wanted to have balance in my life you know, and not just, you know, be a hockey player, but be someone who played the game. But, you know, I remember Bohemian Rhapsody, the father had said to him, what is it, good deeds? Uh, I, I can't remember what he had said I, to his son. You I know exactly like, what I'm talking about. I watched it like seven times too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. amazing movie. Great yeah. movie. He's yeah. like, good deeds, good something, and, and living. Basically what he meant was that you have to live your life the right way. You know, no matter how much success you have in anything, you have to have balance. And trust me, my mom drills that into my head every day. You know, get your sleep, you know, you know, continue to take care of yourself. Make sure you go to the doctor and get your checkups. Like, you know, this is how I was raised to have balance in my life all the time. You know, and seeing my family always work with kids. My dad, principal, sister, teachers, my sister's husband's a teacher. My mom raised five kids. They just knew how to give back. So... You know, I've always, you know, wanted to have a balance and giving back was a big part of that. That helped me through a lot of the stuff that I went through early on in my career from the game of hockey. A lot of the stresses that I had going to the rink, trying to just do my job that I had to deal with, giving back helped balance me out that way and supported me in ways to do that. 
What was the commitment to the hospital? It's 10 million. What was the final raise? Uh, right now we've raised, I think it's eight and a half million. Okay. Probably right around there. That's crazy. Something Indeed. like that, eight Good million stuff. bucks. Yeah. So awesome. And we raised a lot. If you, uh, if you Google you right now, anything, it talks about your philanthropy work that Fred's speaking on. And it talks about uh, soon you're going to get honored. It's called a homecoming to Montreal. Yes. They love you up there. Why the hell did you leave? Because I did a little research and the current GM, Mark, uh, what, Bergevin. Well, he's not there anymore. Who, he just he's, got fired. He's with the Kings. Yes, he's it, with the Kings with the organization Kings now. now. Yes. They said y'all had a little beef. You walked in balling. You were rookie, rookie all-star and is all this. Is it so pucking like, or balling? What is it? Oh, pucking. Yeah, ain't yeah. no ball out there. <laughs> <laughs> you walked in pucking. But I've, I've gathered, I talked to some people that you and old Mark did not, did not see the same way about hockey. Well, listen, without, without giving away everything that I'm going to put in my book, you know, eventually one day when I write it, I, I don't even know when I'm going to write a book, but I know I will. Um, you know, that time in Montreal was, it was the best and the most tumultuous time of my career, no doubt, because like I said, I don't think that hockey and the culture was really ready for the type of athlete that I was. So that means that, you know, anytime I was having success, I always had this feeling of anxiety. Like imagine that, you know, when you're excelling in your career and you always have this anxiety that somebody's gonna do something to pull you back. Somebody's gonna do something to make you feel that you're less than what you're actually doing or to take away from that. And it's just like, why can't I be successful and enjoy being successful? Why can't I go out and perform and wanna celebrate in front of 22 of the most rabid sports fans, like probably on the planet, like in Montreal, it's a lifestyle there. This is not like, these are blue collared people that spend their money. Like dude, there was a time where they didn't show up. Like you can't go, you go to any of these top markets, Dallas, LA, New York. Like, you know, most of the time these fans will show up. They show up in Montreal. Listen to me, it, the team matters so much that there was a time uh, at the old uh, forum, at the old building that they had um, where fans didn't show up. You know, and then they, they did this signing, they built the new arena and they branded it differently. So the fans are so passionate there. And I wanted to enjoy that and do that, but there was resistance. And I think, um, you know, for me, when I go through my contract stuff and the way all that stuff was handled, you know, I wish it was handled better, but it, it just seemed that uh, there was not much cohesiveness in terms of what the plan was and consistency. If they would have came to me after I won the Norris that year and said, hey, listen, you know, I got to give you credit, kid. You went out and you performed. You did what you said you were going to do. Now we want to make you a Montreal Canadian, not only for this term of this contract, but for the rest of your career. I would have signed 7 million bucks. I didn't care. But at that time, I go through arbitration. I got to listen to a lawyer, you know, make arguments that not because it's me that I'm a bad player, but it's my agent that's, you know, putting on this big act to try to justify what I should get paid when it's like, it has nothing to do with that. Whatever happened to sitting in a room across from somebody and saying, hey, you, listen, number one, we respect you and what you bring to this team. Here are our issues with you if we have any. This is what we want to get cleaned up. This is what we want your word from us saying that, you know, this is what we need in areas from you for us to really embrace you after this. You're going to get paid. We're going to pay you. But this is what we need. That never happened. I never had that conversation. It ended up being something where, 
you know, I ended up getting paid because they had to pay me. They didn't want to lose the asset. They wanted to maintain the asset. And I'm sure at that point, that was the start of the end of my time being there. But the reality was, was that it didn't have to be that complicated. I grew up a Montreal Canadiens fan in Toronto. There was only one place I wanted to play in my career. I didn't want to play anywhere else. And I don't understand as an organization, when you have a player that wants to play for you, you know, that wants to lay it all on the line for you every night, how you don't value that a certain way. You know what I mean? But it is a business at the end of the day. You know, you think you know? about your entire career, and I started the show off with their quote that you were a person that played hockey. Um, I became an adult playing football, so did Channing, so is Fred. And those experiences in the locker rooms, for you on the ice, for us on the grass, they go a long way into who we become when we walk away from the game and to the people that we are. When you think back to your hockey career, you know, having the situation in Boston and saying focus on the ice, speaking up for your brother when he faced uh, racism as well on the ice, I think it was uh, Jacob Bonetta. Yeah. And, and speaking up in that saying, you know what, we want this game to be all inclusive. We want it to be about everybody. When you look back at the man PK Subin was as a player, mm -hmm and the man that hockey has made P.K. Subban, how comfortable are you with that? Oh, man, it's a great question, Ryan. He's so good, man. I think that- I tell him that all the time. I think for me, the, the willingness to learn and learn about yourself, I was always curious about that. I was always curious about how much I could take. I was curious about how much of it I could channel. I was curious about how I was going to deal with that stuff and still maintain my game on the ice. And that's when I realized I saw what was going to be difficult, what was going to be hard and what was going to last for and what wasn't going to last forever because some of it is heavy on you. There was a year in Montreal and I won't even say the year, but it was, you know, there was a year in Montreal. It would have been that Olympic year where I literally, if you follow my life, you know, Instagram is one thing. Forget Instagram. If you know me and you've known me for 33 years, I have the most energy. I am the happiest guy all the time. I have challenging days like everybody else. Don't get me wrong. But I bring energy every day. I have fun. I crack jokes. One of my best years of my career in Montreal was one of my, like, worst years in terms of being happy. I went to, I didn't even want to go to the rink every day. It was just, I was dealing with too much. And, you know, I, I would, I talked to my agent every day, never talked to my agent to have him call the team. I just spoke to him so that he knew what was going on. And I would go to the rink and I'm like, what, what, what bullshit do I got to deal with today? What meetings am I going to have today? Cause this ain't making me better. Cause nobody's asking me about what I need. Right? Because within a team, it is about the team. But your star players need to feel good about themselves. You want them to perform, you got to put them in a position to feel good and confident coming to the rink every day. And people think, well, isn't it good enough for me that you got 20,000, 22,000 fans chanting your name everywhere? They're asking for autographs, taking pictures, and it's like you're a celebrity in Montreal. Like, that stuff's great, but like, that, that stuff doesn't matter when it, when it comes to the game in the locker room. You want to be respected by your coaches. You want to be respected by your teammates. And it didn't matter how well I played. It didn't matter how many, you know, when I signed my contract, I rent out a huge restaurant and a bar and spend 
35 grand, catering food and free drinks for my whole teammates and their wives, buying dinners. It didn't matter how much stuff, getting guys free shoes because I had Nike deals and headphones. Didn't matter what I did. It was never enough, right? It was never enough to be a good teammate. You know, I always had to prove that I had to be a good teammate. So whether it was that, my relationships with coaches, it was like everything was always trying to get PK to come down, right? And not because PK's because PK's a happy guy, he's a fun-loving guy, he's an energy guy, he gets a lot of tension. And I know that I could be in a room, in a, in a hockey room, and take up a lot of air because the microphones always come to me. Right? And I understand that rubs guys the wrong way, but you can't sit here and tell me I'm a bad guy and I'm a bad teammate, you know? And that year was just crazy, you know, because I performed. I, I never, my performance never dropped, but I was, I was miserable every year, every day. Every day going to the rink, it was, it was tough. That was the hardest, the hardest year of my career, you know? So, you know, a lot of my success was in spite of people in spite of individuals, in spite of the way that I was treated. And, you know, people don't understand the toll that that takes. Not the toll that that takes on your life, but just your quality of life. So when people ask me about retiring, yeah, man, I'm good, man. <laughs> right. I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm good. I'm relaxing. I'm chilling. So, you know, that's uh, that definitely the person that I am now is just somebody that understands what I want, understands what I went through, and uh, the best way to use that to create a better league moving forward and better situations for players like me. You mentioned losing the Stanley Cup to yeah. the greatest player of your generation, of your era. I didn't know anything about hockey, but I played in Pittsburgh. So if you weren't a Penguin fan and you didn't understand what that team meant to that city, then you actually just didn't walk around with your eyes open or listening to anything. But the Winter Classic was a, a huge deal yeah. in Pittsburgh. And the Winter Classic is coming up now. How do you feel to still be a part of that, to have been a part of that? And what does that bring to the game of hockey as it reaching out to a different viewership and putting itself amongst some of the other huge sports, and especially in our country? Uh, 100%. I, I think that Canadian teams and cities that have the weather to really maintain the ice and keep the quality, I think they should do it more. Um, I love the Winter Classic. I love the Heritage Classic. A lot of people will argue that, you know, um, doing it too much takes away from it. Nah, man, like, I'm sorry. When you can have players that are gonna play in front of 80,000, 60,000, 100,000 fans, um, it's, it's an amazing experience. And doing it at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, playing the Bruins, Canadians, and we won that game. Willie O'Ree was there. I remember that. I'll never forget. I had this outfit made because, you know, I wanted to dress like the guys did in the 1940s and 50s. So I had a big hat, you know what I mean? This crazy three-piece suit and overcoat. And Willie was there. It just made everything special. Willie played for Boston, obviously started his career, broke the color barrier of Boston. So I just, uh, you know, for me, I, I think it's, it's an amazing event. I think it's going to be great this year. I, I would like to see it more. I really would. I think the players would enjoy playing and playing in it more. It was, it was really cool. The one experience that wasn't the greatest was the Heritage Classic that I did in Calgary. Man, that was cold, bro. That was cold. <laughs> so it's about <bro>. weather. <laughs> yeah, man. It was like minus 23, minus 24 outside. We're on the bench. The only thing heated are the benches, but you got all this padding on. Like, that ain't helping. You're taking your gloves off, putting your hands under the seat like this. 
Like, I remember you got the black paint here, snot coming out of your <laughs> nose. It was just cold. Nonetheless, it was a great experience. So I, I love it. Um, I hope the NHL does it more. I'm definitely going to talk about that more on the broadcast, but um, I love it. It's going to be a great experience. It's great for the game. There's nothing like it in any of our sports in North America. So Yeah, I think that for, for us, this was, this was eye-opening because we play a sport where when I look to my left and look to my right, a guy does look like Channing. A guy does look like Fred. And we've all kind of come up the same way and understand those things and can lean on each other. But to hear your perspective about playing in the NHL and how you can be perceived, and it wasn't, I like, I like, I like the word you use, that it wasn't necessarily always racism, but placism. I think that's something that a lot of people will get from hearing your story, man. We appreciate you. Hopefully, we can have a small part in the book. You know, uh, sure, Freddie T man. to actually text it over, pucking with the pivot. You know, so hopefully that, that, that's a small chapter in your book, man. We Thank appreciate you, you though, brother. I see you, you around so the building. Much, bro. Appreciate <laughs> yes, sir, man. Thank, Thank you, you so though. much, man, bro. You need to settle down. Oh, man. <laughs> man, settle down. Have some children, man. <laughs> Hold up. Limitless. Take a stomach in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling, get me up. Uh, on the mission, get me up. Uh, knowing me, I got the key. Uh, on the vision, I can trust. Uh, trust. Uh, limitless. Take a stomach cap in it. I thought they here to witness it. Got my people feeling militant. Way I'm feeling.